You see, you've got two chairmen this evening. And this one is to help me to keep level with you without too much strain. I can well believe, yes, thank you, he says comfortable. <laughs> uh, some things are relative, you see, in this life. I could well believe that folks, if they were to think about these meetings, would say, well, it's very evident that Mr. Welsh and Stuart Allen and the two chairmen, they all get their heads together and they say, well, let's take this particular line. Well, I would very much like to tell you that I hadn't the remotest idea what chapter was going to be read, what subject was going to be taken, either by Stuart Allen or by the other two chairmen, and they didn't know what I was going to take. But when I came, I said to Mr. Allen, now my reading is the first chapter of 2 Timothy. Well, he didn't tell me that the reading this afternoon was 2 Timothy. And we've been all on it, friends. You know, without making foolish claims, I think we can say, this sounds a little bit as though God has a word to say to us without claiming to be more spiritual than anybody else, is leading us. Because we've got threefold emphasis, as it were, or more than that, with each speaker, on the fact that we have been entrusted with something which demands accountability and faithfulness. You notice that Paul, writing at the close of his days, used the word ashamed three times in the first chapter. He said, Timothy, don't you be ashamed of this. I am not ashamed. This man sought me out very diligently in Rome and he was not ashamed. And then he focuses all that in 2 Timothy that you may be a workman unashamed. In the same chapter 1, he emphasizes the word covet. We have been entrusted with something. That good deposit which has been entrusted to us. In chapter 2 he said to, to Timothy, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Notice the order. Not eloquent men. Not men who were learned, but in the first case, faithful, for all the rest is so much wind if it's denying the truth that's been entrusted. <clears throat> and so, I cannot help but feel as a solemn feeling about these meetings that we didn't choose the readings by consulting one another. We didn't choose the subjects, but it looks as though God intends that we should have them if he leads us at all. Now, I'm not doubting his leading. I'm only saying that as an argument. I remember a lady once in distress asked me if I could pray for her that the Lord would lead her. I said, I'll do no such thing. And that upset her. I did, I did it on purpose. I said, if the, you can say the Lord is my shepherd, it goes without saying he leadeth me. I said, I'll tell you what you want. Somebody to pray for you that you may follow his leading. That's your trouble. <coughs> 
the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And although they were severely handled by God for their sins, never once, throughout the whole of that journey for 40 years, day or night, when once the pillar of cloud and the fire by night was given, did it leave them until they got to the river Jordan. So don't be afraid sometimes to be conscious that although you may not know how it's brought about, the Lord can and does. Well, I feel it so in this case. With regard to myself, just for a moment, uh, because so many of you friends have been interested in me, and I felt I was very uncouth to keep away, but it's rather distressing to say over and over and over again uh, just how you feel. You know that, don't you? Uh, have you seen a snail crawling up a wall? It goes up about two inches and then drops back one. Well, I don't think many people would liken me to a snail. At least the doctor that comes to me gave me a great reprimand for moving too rapidly, even taking my shirt off I did it too quickly. But that's what's happening to me. I'm making progress like the snail. I go up two and I go back one. But I'm going up friends. if it's only one, you see. And then it seems to repeat itself a little bit in my experience. In March 1962, I had to go into hospital. But I was out in time for the May meeting. In March 1963, I had to go to hospital. And by the grace of God, I'm out again for the May meeting. I hope I don't keep on at that, but uh, <laughs> it's one of those things that we're thankful for, small mercies, as we say. Well, now... As we've been reminded, and as I remind myself and you, we have two meetings a year with, uh, which, uh, in which we are so encouraged by the way in which you folks travel and stand by us and join in with us. One in September commemorates the fact that we have here a chapel, and we haven't paid a penny for it, and it's ours as long as we like to use it. Well, that's a gift of God, isn't it? And the second is that we have the meeting in May to make sure that nobody is without some information as to the basis upon which we build. We can't put into our trust all the things we believe, but you do know those four, don't you? And they were rehearsed this afternoon. Well, now, a trust may be a legal affair, and it may be cut and dried and very dusty. But nevertheless, the word trust ought to be a word that we honour. See, we are entrusted with the truth. And the Apostle was very conscious of that, but he said, he has committed it, and you commit it, and I have kept the faith, and all the Gentiles have heard. He finished the work that God gave him to do. As, he, as we were reminded, he wasn't spared a great deal of opposition and suffering. That was a test. But by the grace of God, he went through to the end. And so my subject is going to be this question of stewardship and faithfulness. First of all, will you turn with me to the passage which I think will be the basis of our studies. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4. You notice how it's introduced because there's no chapters in the original. <clears throat> Verse 21 of the preceding chapter. Therefore, let no man glory in men. The trouble with the Corinthians was they were already splitting up into factions. One says, I am of, of Apollos. Another one said, I am of Peter. Another one said, I am of Paul. Well, he said, you're not, you're of Christ. And the first move for disintegrating a work and robbing it of its <coughs> real point is to start putting one or another of the human instruments on a pedestal. I can't say that what I'm very thankful when anyone says, well, you've stuck it for over 50 years. Well, I have. But you see, that doesn't put me on a pedestal. Because I know about myself a bit more than you do. As you know a bit more about yourself than I do. And so he says here, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Kephas. Then he goes on, or the world, or life, or death or things present, or things to come. All are yours. <coughs> and ye are Christ's. <coughs> Christ is God's. Well now he says, I want you to think of that. Never mind about I am of Paul and I am of Apollos. Now then, in chapter 4, let a man so account of us. Account of us. <coughs> Verse 2, it is required. Verse 2, to be found. Verse 3, to be judged. You notice the words that are used. This is not salvation. This is accountability. So let's look at this again. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. Well, you say, well, there he goes. He puts himself on a pedestal. But friends, the word minister means to be a servant. In the early days when the girl with the lace cap opened the door to the minister of the church, it was two servants looking at one another. The word minister means to serve. Our Saviour said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. But that's not the word here. In this epistle, he goes out of his way almost to show the depths to which sometimes the child of God may descend. He said, we are accounted as the filth of the world. The filth of the world. Fancy. And the offscouring of all things. And when he said all that list, he says, be as I am. Oh, fancy saying that afterwards. But he said, 
It's better to be in that position and true to Christ than to purchase immunity by faithlessness. So he says here, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. Now this particular word minister doesn't come many times as far as I know in the New Testament or the Old. Uh, what its uh, original use is one of a degrading position, a dreadful position. If you happen to have a copy of Ben-Hur at home and you glimpse at chapter 4, you'll get a little idea of what this particular word meant in the days of the Apostle Paul. You've seen, I suppose, pictures or sculptures of one of the ships of those days. They didn't have petrol, they didn't have engines, but they had human labour. And these great ships had three banks of oars, long sweeps. And each one of those men were either slaves or prisoners of war. And they were in three banks. And the lowest one of all is what the Apostle took here. Chained to the seat. Doomed if the ship was struck. He says, let a man so account of us as under rowers. He couldn't have gone much deeper and lower in human society than that particular word. The next is this. And stewards of the mysteries of God. Now the next thought is, of course, the word steward indicates something which has been entrusted. For the moment, shall we turn to that um, passage which we have in, I think, Luke's Gospel about the steward. Yes, the parable. He said, he said unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. So it's incipient in the very thought of stewardship that you may have to give an account. The apostle was aware of that as we see when we come back to Corinthians again. For thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What should I do? My Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig, but beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their homes. So he said to one, How much owest thou? Write down this. How much owest thou? Write down that. To another, how much owest thou? Write down that. And the Lord, that's not our Saviour. The Lord of that steward commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Then he comes back. Verse 9 is a, a, a passage which has stumbled many. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. What a lovely text for a person who wants to get away with it, isn't it? But you say it's there. Well, the first thing to remember is that the Lord didn't speak English 
what language he did speak, we may not know, sometimes Aramaic, sometimes Greek. But the scriptures that we have read just the same. He says, do I say unto you, copy this unjust steward, do I say unto you, make unto yourselves friends of the man of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations? And the implied answer is, no. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is much. Now it goes on to the future. And he that is unjust in the, oh, presently, he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in, in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you your, the true riches, to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Now that's a parable, and you may have to just leave it at that. But don't you see, some things that we do, some things, some ways in which we act, have an influence on the yet future. Our stewardship has got to be accounted for. And the Apostle Paul made no hesitation when he said, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown. He didn't say, oh, I won't say that. He said it. There is a crown waiting for me. But not for me only. But for all them that love is appearing and act in harmony with such a love and such a coming. So he said here, let a man so account of us. I'm back again to 1 Corinthians 4. As stewards, as ministers of Christ and stewards. Once again, I'll stop again for a moment, as most of you know, but we must say these things, the word steward and the word dispensation both derive from the same root. You can hear the words, can't you? Oikonomos is a steward. Oikonomia is a dispensation. So you see, a dispensation is not some fantastic thing that nobody knows what it means. It means a stewardship. And Peter had a stewardship with regard to the people that were entrusted to his care. And Paul had a stewardship with regard to the people entrusted to his care. And they had, they had a meeting together. And they had to agree that just as Paul, as Peter, had the apostleship of the circumcision, so Paul had the gospel of the apostleship of the uncircumcision, and they gave the right hands of fellowship and went their way. So you see, this emphasis upon dispensational truth is involved in our stewardship. So when Paul knew the end was very near, and he was very much attached to that young man, Timothy, he said to him, Be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. I suppose if we could think of a committee meeting together, putting their heads together, and deciding who they should elect 
to step into the shoes of the Apostle Paul when he was done. One of the last persons I think of was a man who had to be jogged along like he was by, by Paul to be told even in a letter like this God has not given us the spirit of cowardice, the word is. Not fear, cowardice. He said to Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. He said to Timothy, he didn't say, drink no longer water. He said, be no longer a water drinker. You see the difference? <clears throat> he was one of those sort of abstemious, shrinking persons. He said, is that the one that God's going to choose? Well, you see, God chooses earthen vessels. It doesn't matter what shape, size, whether it's Dresden or Woolworths. It's what he puts in it that matters. That's, what's, that's what matters. And the only thing for which the earthen vessel can be held responsible is the stewardship, that which has been entrusted. Well, now we'll look a little closer at this passage. 1 Corinthians uh, 4. Uh, when he says the mysteries of God, do remember there were a series of mysteries revealed before the mystery in which we find our calling. We have the mystery of Israel's blindness, for instance, and so on. But they were a steward of them, whatever they were. And then he says, moreover, it is required. That again is a word that means an investigation will be made. An account has to be rendered. It is required. It was used in a parable. That a man be found. Found. Again the word means to be found by an assessment or an investigation, an inquiry. Found faithful. Another point is this. That faithfulness is not an isolated thing. There are other features in one's life that contribute or detract from it. <clears throat> you will not be faithful to the word of God if you are always thinking about yourself. The Apostle Paul, if any man had something to boast about, he said, I bore but he said, you account of me as an under-rower, one of the lowest and most degraded forms of service that he could think of. But if you once start allowing people to say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Kephas, you see, that's going to make an inroad in your faithfulness. So we'll watch that, shall we? We're very grateful to any earthen vessel that has ever been used to be filled and poured out but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may be of God and not of men I've been folks write to me and say well you've stuck it out for a good many years fifty odd years well it's true but you see I could start prancing about and I could get a swelled head and away would go my real usefulness in the service of God. And I should have to account for that when I stood before him. And I don't want to be ashamed in his presence. I do wish with all my heart that something that I've done 
will earn from him just a little word of commendation. I don't think that's wrong. But whether I'm commended or condemned by the rest of the world, I don't think that matters very much in comparison. If you're always seeking approval of others, you don't know whether you're coming or going, will you? You'd be like the story of the of the man who ended up by carrying his donkey. First of all, the boy sat on the donkey and he was reproved for that. Then he did his wife sit on the donkey and he was reproved of that. And then he sat on the donkey and he, he was reproved of that so he carried the donkey. You see, if you're going to listen to everybody's comment and you're going to be moved by everybody's opinion, you might as well give it up. You need not be stubborn but you could be like a tornado blade. You could be bent double without breaking. That's the character. That's the spirit. So God give every one of us here in our own capacity, in the places where God has put us, not merely to strive to be learned, not merely to be apt to teach, which we should be if we are doing it, but first and foremost to be faithful. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so the apostle could write of one in his epistle to the Colossians. He's a faithful minister. He could write of Timothy who was a faithful minister. All was a commendation to have from a man like Paul that you are faithful to that which has been committed to your trust. So one of the things that we seek to do in these May meetings is to remember that we have a trust and that we have a body of truth. Not that it's been invented by somebody, but there it is for all to read and all to see and we cannot play fast and loose with it for any sakes whatever. I do remember the great tug I had for a moment when I first stepped into this chapel. We had been wanderers on the face of the earth for years. And at long last, there was a possibility that we might get the use of this chapel. And I said to myself, that the moment we have the deeds read, I've either got to make a compromise, which God forbid, or I'll have to walk out and be a wanderer once again. Give me grace to do that, Lord. And then my fears were negative. Because I thought in the title deeds there would be how you to conduct the ordinances. And I thought that's going to finish it. If I compromise over that, I might as well shut up. And I should have done long ago, I suppose. But in the deeds it simply said that no one who believed merely oratory or practiced what is called the mass could take any part in this meeting who almost jumped and said hallelujah <laughs> and then to my surprise instead of the aged trustee being alarmed he picked up the little booklet the dispensational place of the Lord's Supper which I thought would have blown the whole thing up sky high and he came back for six more copies I'm only telling you, friends, I'm not made of the sterner stuff that never passes through a moment's temptation. 
even our Saviour was tempted, but he, he never, for a moment, faltered. I'm glad I didn't. But that's not boasting. That's only saying it is required in stewards the very first thing, all your so-called usefulness, all the printing of your books, all the meetings you have, they're nothing worth if they're at the cost of faithfulness to that which has been committed or entrusted. So he says here, another thing, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. You see, he's taking that very line. And by the way, when it says man's judgment, that's a very free rendering of the words, or of man's day. Literally, judged of man's day. This is the day when man judges. But he said, you know the day I'm looking forward to, don't you? I'm looking to that day, the day of Christ. And as long as I've got that in mind, I should not be unduly influenced by what you think of me. But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's day, or man's judgment. And the next thing he said, I judge not mine own self. And you say, why don't you do that, Paul? Well, he says, I'm not really capable of analysing my own feelings, failings, or successes. We're such a bundle of contradictions. He says, I know nothing by myself, and I think the modern idiom would demand, I know nothing against myself. But he said, because I know nothing against myself, it doesn't follow there's not plenty of things that somebody else might see. But he said, I'm not hereby justified by that, because I don't see it. He that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of hearts and then shall every man have praise of God. So it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I've got one or two little points here that... Um, I would like just to add, although I shan't be able to go on much longer, and you wouldn't wish me to, I hope. When the Apostle said he took that lowly position, he was only walking in the steps of his great master. One of the most wonderful passages, so far as wording is concerned, is Jesus knowing that he came from God and went to God took a towel and girded himself. In the full knowledge that he came from God and was going back again, now to take a towel in, in this country is not everybody's job, but out in the east, David, when he conquered the others, he said, Moab is my washpot. Over Eden have I cast out my shoe. The lowest office that could be performed in any eastern Bible house was to wash the feet of anyone there. So I picked up this little bit. He might have taken a scepter or he might have taken a crown for he was the Lord of glory. 
the universe all his own. Or a conqueror's sword might have rested in the grip of his mighty hand. And a myriad host of angels have descended at his command. But he took a towel. Isn't that true? Isn't that the spirit that should be the animating spirit of us? We're not worthy of the trust that's been put into our into us. We're not worthy. But God doesn't look at the vessel for worthiness. He just looks at the fact that you are faithful to that which has been entrusted. Uh, I mentioned about the statement of the Apostle Paul when he says about himself. Now let's come a bit further down this chapter 4. He's a little bit sarcastic sometimes, you know, and uh, that's got a, a that's got a, a place in ministry. He says, um, verse 8, Now you are fool. Now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. Now that's not always obvious to us because we've never been to the Colosseum. We've never seen men fighting for their lives against wild beasts in the arena. And we would never know that the ones who went in last for which the whole crowd was waiting and yelling for never came out alive. They were doomed. Criminals. They never came out alive. He said, I think God has appointed me to be like one of those last ones. I think that God has, has, has set us forth as the apostles last, as it were, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle. That's the word theatre. That was there. He was in the theatre of this world. A spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honourable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are naked and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, and labour working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and the offscouring of all things unto this day. I won't read any further till I get to verse 16. Wherefore I beseech you, look at the audacity of this. Be ye followers of me. Fancy telling people you are made the filth of the world and the offscouring of all things and the criminals that go into the arena and he says, be ye followers of me. Now that's the man that God raised up and entrusted with the truth that we rejoice in. We don't praise Paul, but we do praise the grace of God and the mercy that was extended and all the grace that was in, given to that man against all opposition, all defamation, all inducements one way or another, turning neither to the right hand nor to the left until he could say, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded 
that he is able to keep that which not I have committed unto him. There's a hymn which which people sing that means that I have committed my soul into his care. Well, he didn't say that. I am, oh, I think I better turn to the passage so that we can see it in its context. That's in the 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. He speaks about, in verse 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I mentioned in passing that the word ashamed came with regard to his exhortation to Timothy. Be not thou therefore ashamed. And here it comes again. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which has been committed. There's no I have committed or he has, but that which has been committed against that day. And then he goes on to explain, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That's what was committed. The form of sound words which he'd heard of Paul. That good thing which was committed unto thee, so something was committed to Timothy. Keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. And then of course there were some who departed like Phygelus and Hermogenes. And so we have the uh, exhortation to this man to faithfulness. In chapter 2 where we had read he said, uh, I'm just looking for the, yeah, I'm looking for the passage. What does it say about the word of, oh I see, in verse 9. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. There's a resilience about Paul. I, I feel that he would appreciate the Cockney re, rejoinder. So that's how this is written. He says, I suffer trouble, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Like that, you see. But you can't put that in a book, can you? He says, I may be in bondage, not the word of God. And so he says, something has been committed to me. Something has been committed to you. Now, Timothy, you've got to go on. Chapter 2. Verse 1 and 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong. We can do, we can say that to everybody. I think Emerson has a wonderful, uh, essay on be strong. <laughs> but he doesn't say what Paul says. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's a very different thing. And the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same Commit, is this word commit again, you see. Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Faithfulness first. Ability to teach, well, that would be essential, but faithfulness first. Because you may have a teacher 
a very wonderful teacher, whom I be teaching that which is untrue. But commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So I feel, if you will accept that, at the ministry of our brethren today, all on one note, the idea that we have something committed, we are entrusted with something, and the one great thing that's demanded of us is not cleverness, nor success, but faithfulness. And it's not so much what people think of us now, and it's not so much what we think about ourselves, but what the Lord is going to think about us when we stand in his presence. It is required in stewards that a man be found